if you are hesitant to bring in technologies uh, that will, you know, get the work done a different way, well, guess what? You're just going to run your people ragged. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 78. Today, we're talking about overcoming technology hesitancy, specifically in the context of robotics. But honestly, this should apply to anyone that's trying to help others leverage technology to make their lives better, easier, more productive, whatever it may be. Our guest today is Eric Nieves. Eric is a robotics expert and an individual that believes technology should be used to elevate human existence and well-being. And honestly, he's one of the most intelligent, well-spoken individuals I've come across in my career. Eric has a very long history in the robotics world and is now the CEO of Plus One Robotics. Simply put, this company makes vision software for logistics robots, but more than that, they deliver a novel approach to allow industrial robots and humans to work together. If you're trying to figure out what all this means, you'll want to listen to this interview. So, here are three things you can expect. First, we'll get to know Eric and how robotics elevated his career from an early age. Second, Eric is going to help us understand some of the most important concepts in the adoption of robotics. I like to call these Eric-isms, but hopefully this provides some color to the comments I made earlier about how humans and robots can work together and create better jobs in the process. Finally, Eric leaves us with a few great pieces of career advice, particularly for those that are trying to help others adopt technology. He also shares some of the exciting aspects about Plus One Robotics. If you want to access any of the resources we mentioned in this episode, head on over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 78. Also, if you want to join a community of forward-thinking manufacturing leaders, I'd highly recommend you join our Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. It has over 500 manufacturing leaders that are constantly collaborating and communicating. It's a great place to connect with forward thinkers. Again, that group lives on LinkedIn. It's a private group. Connect with me on LinkedIn and then ask to join the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community. You can find it at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. All right, that's it for the intro. Let's head on down to Texas for a great conversation with Eric Nieves. Okay, Eric, so we're doing this interview remotely today, but let's say we were hanging out in South Texas, where you're based. If we were at a restaurant or a bar having this conversation, where would that be? Paint the picture for us. Hmm. Good question. So we're here in San Antonio, right? San Antonio, of course, is home to a whole lot of barbecue, which is terrific. I happen to be vegetarian and have been for the last 10 years. So uh, there is a joint downtown SA called Senor Veggie, right? Mm. So you can already get the picture. It's a, you know, uh, Latino kind of Tex-Mex vegetarian joint. And I take folks there uh, all the time. If I don't tell them it's vegetarian, they don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's They do a lot of really cool stuff with jackfruit. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, jackfruit kind of takes the place of the uh, meat and it's seasoned and such. So more jackfruit, less tofu. 
Uh, and it's a really, you know, kind of hip joint, no AC, okay. you know, windows open. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the guy who runs it is from the Virgin Islands. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just a really casual, enjoyable place to get a meal for me. Uh, and I try to find sort of similar look, you know, restaurants in pretty much every city in America that I have to go to. But uh, Senor Veggie is my hometown favorite for that kind of thing. I love it. So let's say you and I are hanging out at Senor Veggie. We're having some jackfruit dishes, maybe mm -hmm. a beer to wash it down with. So let's have this conversation as if we're if we're chilling together at a restaurant. My first question for you is, before you got into robotics, you were working at a cement making factory, right? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, a cement mixer manufacturer, right? Ah, so this okay. is a, a house up in southern Minnesota, if there is such a thing as southern Minnesota. Uh, and I would drive up every summer from college from here in Texas. We would go all the way up 35. And mm -hmm. we would show up there the weekend after graduation and we'd spend the summer working there. Uh, and they had two main products at that factory. They did garbage trucks and cement mixers. Mm -hmm. And cement mixers was sort of, you know, my gig with them. Uh, and my job, believe it or not, was uh, I was a grinder. I held an 11 or 12 pound electric grinder over my you know, head for 8, 10, 11 hours a day uh, all summer long. And, uh, you know, I was in great shape uh, and, you know, but the work was awful. Yeah. And then one day the foreman comes rolling up in his little cart and he's like, hey, Eric, I hear you know something about computers. And I have no idea what he's got in mind, but whatever it is has got to be better than what I'm doing, you know, right now. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, they probably got printers in the office. They can't figure out printer drivers or whatever. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, yeah, man, computers, I'm all over it. W what you got? And he points down the line. He's like, we just got this machine over here. Nobody knows how to make it run. And it was, in fact, a welding robot. Mm. And I'm like, okay, RTM. You know, I read the manual. Uh, it was a Hitachi robot out of Japan. It was actually private labeled to GE. That was a short while in the 80s. General Electric was a robot company. Um, and uh, I got to, you know, figuring out how it ran, touching up some points, programming some paths, and then load a bunch of parts, hit a green button, and sit there for 15, 20 minutes while it did the thing. I'm like, hey, this is a lot better than grinding all day long. Uh, and I got a raise out of it. And I thought, you know, this robots thing might stick. Yeah. Uh, in the end, uh, I ended up going to work. Uh, I, I stayed there for an additional year after, after graduation. Uh, they offered me to stay on to program two new robots that they had just bought. Mm. From a company in Ohio called Moto Man, which everybody now knows is Yaskawa. Yep. Uh, in the end... I left after installing those robots for a year. I went to Yaskawa. I stayed for nearly 25 years uh, there. And, uh, you know, I've never looked back. Robotics is what I do. So it's funny, right? Because a topic that comes up on the show all the time and in our industry in general is that robotics lead to better jobs, right? And you mm -hmm. literally are living proof that- Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> my to... quality of life and my nine to five is so much better 
after I got to set that grinder down. In fact, Chris, I got to tell you, I think about that task a lot because it remains one of the last frontiers for automation is robotic material removal. And mm. there are, you know, interesting startups in the space. There are some established companies in the space. Uh, but there are still a lot of people in a lot of fabrication shops that are grinding by hand. That stuff's got to stop. And, yeah. uh, you know, if I wasn't, you know, moving parcels around as much as we are here at Plus One, that's the next thing. Uh, and uh, I I'm here for it. Let's Let's fix that. Well, I like that you're the type of person that's always looking at what's the next application that's ripe for robotics, where we can help someone that's doing work that is not enjoyable, as you described, you were doing this work before, mm -hmm. and help them find a role that is more enjoyable as a result of that, which really kind of brings to brings me to my next question, which over the course of this in interview, I I've heard you say a lot of cool things before. You have a lot of what I call Ericisms in the industry around robotics and workforce, etc. So let's start with one that's close to home with Plus One Robotics. Robots work, people rule. What does that mean? Yeah. Robots work, people rule is first off an admission that technology can only take you so far, right? In the end, uh, we are all engaged in human enterprise. Mm -hmm. We build and deliver and service uh, for people and people are in the best position to do that. So uh, we view robots as a capable tool, but just a tool. Mm -hmm. And uh, we view AI as a great set of, you know, tools, but again, insufficient to deal with the reality as it is. So robots work, people rule is, is the notion is we're here about elevating people and using technology only in so far as it does that. Uh, and so, you know, what does it mean practically? It means uh, plus one, we subscribe to this notion of supervised autonomy. Supervised autonomy means, hey, let the robot do what it can of its own volition most of the time. Mm -hmm. if, if the robot is, has to be teleoperated all the time, well, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. There's not a force multiplier there. Mm -hmm. You have to have the robot be able to do most of the work by itself. That's the autonomy piece of supervised autonomy. The human in the loop piece or the robots work people rule piece is, hey, the as is world is messy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's messy at the manufacturing plant and it's messy in the warehouse. So in the warehouse, which, how that's manifest is there's so many different SKUs, parcel sizes, container types, etc., cetera. Uh, and grandma's sending cookies to camp and Christmas gifts. And, you know, it's always different. Mm -hmm. So much so that no amount of true automation can really keep up with that level of variability. So how mm -hmm. do you deal with that exception in real time, in situ, in place, and do it gracefully? You know how we do it? If our kids were doing the job, we as their parents would come alongside and help them. Mm -hmm. That's what robots work people rule is. It's like the robots are, they're, they're pretty good, but they're not going to be all the way. So when they need help, 
they raise their hand and go, can you give me a leg up on this? And that's mm -hmm. when the human intervenes. And, you know, for plus one in specific, that's what Yonder is, right? That's its product. It's a subscription service where the robots phone home, you know, they phone a friend and say, hey, I, I need a hand. And a human being, a live person is seeing what that robot is experiencing at that moment. They haven't seen what the robot was doing for the last hour because they didn't need mm -hmm. to. But right mm -hmm. now the robot needs help. And yeah. it says, yo, uh, can you give me uh, assistance? And a human being goes, oh, yeah, I see why you're confused. Let me help you. And we do that from remote. Mm -hmm. And the robot goes back to work. That's yeah. what robots work, people rule really looks like. Uh, yeah. You know, when you peel back the cover. I love the analogy about like a parent helping their child, right? Same way a human's yeah. got to help a robot when some of this variability comes in. I think that example of sorting packages is perfect, right? Because anyone can visualize that. A lot of packages yeah. might be, you know, X size, right? But some are going to be smaller. They're going to be Y size. Some of them are going to be much bigger. They're going to be Z size. So for a number of these applications, a robot can do the job, right? But they're going to get stuck every once in a while. So Right. And it's usually less about size, right? Because size, you know, okay, as long as it's a rectangular parallelopiped, you know, the, the robot's going to be able to handle that regardless. It's that as we've moved more of our shopping online, we're now getting more different types of packages and packing materials. So, mm -hmm. you know, as we move to more of our apparel online, mm -hmm. you know, you ordered your last hoodie, you know, it mm -hmm. probably came in some, you know, white poly bag and the hoodie was at the bottom of it. The, where's the cube now? Right. Mm -hmm. So the system has to deal with, you know, basically amorphous geometries mm -hmm. uh, and different materials, et cetera. Uh, and sure, uh, as you increase that, you're going to have more instances of, uh, you know, hey, can can you lend a hand? Right. You know, I like the general example of package sorting as a great uh, example mm -hmm. of robots work, people rule, supervised autonomy. That's another term that I've heard you use that I know is a big mm -hmm. part of that. Do you have another story or a specific amp uh, example of this illustrated and maybe how it led to a better job as well? Well, you know, as we think about the humans on the, the, uh, in the human in the loop equation, right? mm -hmm. this is another job that was elevated. So uh, there are instances and you've seen them where, where in the warehouse, you've now brought robots to bear and now the person who had been a sorter, who mm -hmm. had had to stand in one spot and move packages around by hand 25, yeah. 30 times per minute for however many hours their sort duration is, now they're a crew chief. Mm -hmm. That's our parlance. Some folks call them you know, robot wranglers or, or what have you, but mm -hmm. we call it a crew chief. And the crew is the robots. Mm -hmm. The chief is you, right? And so the people rule is the chief. So here's someone that came into the operation, never expecting to be running a set of robots, mm -hmm. but that's their job now. Mm -hmm. You have trained someone up on, uh, you know, dealing with exceptions on some terminal somewhere. They can do it remotely. They're managing a fleet of robots at a time. 
So you've got the force multiplier of the mm -hmm. automation and you've elevated someone's role to something that is less task-like mm -hmm. and feels much more like a career. Yeah. And I, I love that term, robot Sherpa, uh, crew chief. I'm trying to democratize those, right? The more we have you on this show, because you were on our uh, multi-guest A3 feature at the AMR and logistics conference not too long ago, we started, mm -hmm. we got to keep getting those terms in people's heads. Yeah, I've got another term for you. This is, a, this one's a little bit more on the flip side of things. Technology hesitancy. Expand on this a bit more and tell me, why is this an issue we seem to run into? So, you know, I, I first talked about technology hesitancy uh, during the COVID era when mm -hmm. we all started worrying about vaccine and vaccine hesitancy. Mm -hmm. right? And vaccine hesitancy meant that the overall population wasn't making as much progress as, you know, it might otherwise have. Right? Technology hesitancy is much the same. Uh, it means, hey, uh, I am concerned about the viability of this process, this automation tool, this robot, you know, whatever it might be, this system. And so I'm going to push back on deploying something like that. And what are the ramifications of that? Well, the ramification is likewise, the overall system or the population in this case is run, isn't running as well as it could. Meaning, you only had a fixed number of workers. You have a sign outside the door that says help wanted. You've not been able to hire for the jobs anyway. And since if you are hesitant to bring in technologies uh, that will you know, get the work done a different way, well, guess what? You're just gonna run your people ragged, mm -hmm. right? And so technology hesitancy is not a good thing but it is certainly, Chris, an understandable one, right? In the specific case of small to medium manufacturers and warehouses, you, you're maybe talking about an outfit that's been there for 30 or 40 years. In a small to medium manufacturer, it might be uh, a clever engineer and, you know, the next generation, his son or daughter that have taken over the business. And it's been a family thing. You're going to go to them when they acknowledge that they have either equality, consistency, or throughput problem. They can't get the labor to, to resolve for them. You're going to go to them and say, well, I have this robot for you. And the robot's going to do everything that you need to have done. Trust me on this. The automotive industry has been doing it for 30 or 40 years. You know what their mind they're thinking? hey, I'm not the automotive industry. I'm a sole proprietor of a good lifestyle business for me and my family. This robot represents a significant capital investment to me. And even if I were to do it on a low cost way, if I you know, found a financing partner or leased it or did a RAS contract, whatever, I still have to invest my time and my focus to ensure you know, that it goes off well. What if I'm wrong? What if, in fact, it just didn't work for me? It's our first system. Technology hesitancy is much more acute when you're talking about the zeroth to oneth robot. Right? Mm. When you're going from no robots to your first robot, you are quite hesitant. 
It's true in the small manufacturer. It is likewise true in the warehouse. That warehouse may be a brownfield that has been, you know, dealing with warehouse volumes and cutoff windows, which is really the only metrics that matter to them. And you're going to go to them and say, well, I've got AI and it's going to solve the problem for you. Wait a minute. You know, I'm hesitant to make that bet. Here's the thing. And I, I, I hope all of the other suppliers out there, you know, believe this. We all have to be empathetic to that position in the market because unlike that automotive manufacturer, I can put a, a robot system in today at Toyota here in San Antonio and it can be a complete flop. Mm -hmm. It can just not work. If it doesn't work, that is not going to preclude Toyota from buying more robots next year. They had a bad job. They didn't have a bad tech, mm -hmm. right? That is not true in emergent markets like small to medium manufacturers or warehouse automation. If you get it wrong the first time, you have ruined that facility for some number of years, mm -hmm. not months. So uh, it's incumbent on us to have the sufficient empathy with our users to understand where their technology hesitancy comes from mm. and then work to mitigate its root cause, not force feed them something that in the end, they're not in a position to adopt well. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for the biggest events in the automation industry? If you are, you're going to want to hear about today's sponsor, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. A3 is the leading global automation trade association of the robotics, machine vision, motion control, and AI industries. They also throw some of the best events in the automation and manufacturing space. And for me, they're the source of some of the best connections I've made in the manufacturing industry. You might not realize this, but throughout the years, we've featured over 10 different A3 partners on this podcast. Now, whether we're talking about their annual business form or their marquee event, the Automate Show, A3's events are the spot for building partnerships, exploring new technologies, and getting a pulse on the industry. If you're listening to this episode before June 2022, make sure to check out Automate 2022 taking place in Detroit, Michigan, June 6th through 9th. I, for one, will definitely be there. Head to automateshow.com for more information and to register for free today. And you can always learn what A3 has going on by visiting automate.org. And now, back to today's episode. I think what you just ended on was, I, I got to highlight that a little bit, right? Because I think anyone out there in the manufacturing industry, particularly people that are in the business development or sales side, I think we all face te technology hesitancy when we're talking to people. So mm -hmm. your advice from what I heard was have empathy and help diagnose what the root cause of that concern is. Is that correct? Is there other advice you have for manufacturers that are up against technology hesitancy? Uh, no, that is absolutely where it's at is... It's one thing to fight the, uh, you know, sort of the manifestation of the hesitancy. And I think that's where too many of us get stuck. We tell them they ought not be hesitant and, you know, we'll show them case studies or we'll try to mitigate their fear somehow when in fact, you're going to have to double click with them uh, and understand 
you know, where is this coming from? And, you know, sometimes case studies is the answer, but often it's beyond that. Often mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, think about my, the impact to my financial position if this doesn't work. Think about the impact to my employees when we brought something in that they were invested in or, and then it just didn't happen. Credibility. There's a lot of things besides just the technology on its face. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, be empathetic towards your users, especially if it's the first system they're going to be leaping in with. I appreciate you helping us double down on that point because I wanted to make sure the manufacturing leaders listen, pull that away from this interview. There was another part of that answer that you mentioned early on about labor shortages, the help wanted signs and things like that. This is this isn't so much of an Eric ism as it is maybe an Eric hot take, as some people would say in the industry. Hmm. I've heard you mention before that we might not necessarily be up against an issue of a labor shortage, but more churn in the workforce. Can you tell us a bit about that idea as well? Yeah. Um, If you just count the number of help wanted signs, you would think it's a labor shortage problem. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I find instead, when you kind of spend more time looking at it, a lot of these facilities can get the people in. They just can't keep the people. Mm -hmm. It's a churn problem, not a there wasn't hot. There weren't people to bring into the operation. So rather than trying to fix the pool of labor available to me and trying to increase that. Sure, we all need to do what we can to ensure a pipeline for the future. But what you really need to be thinking about is how do I get a you know revival by locking up the back door mm-hmm. so that they aren't just all <laughs> passing through the building? <laughs> yeah, right? and uh, you know spend more time thinking about how do I improve my employees' experience on a day-to-day basis? I'll tell you, this notion of crew chiefing really does lend itself to that because you're giving somebody a path. You're, you know, like me, I got a raise when I started running the robot. It's going to be the same thing. They're going to be more capable and they're going to be more accountable to the organization because they're responsible for much more throughput. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, mm-hmm. if you think about uh, if if I walked into a fulfillment center and my job was doing sortation and I had to do 30 you know packages per minute, well, okay, you know, that's 1800 packages per hour. Well, hey, if I'm a crew chief and I've got 10 of these, uh, I'm an 18,000 packages per hour resource now. Mm-hmm. Do I bring more value to the organization? Of course I do. Should that be remunerated? Of course it should. So it all just kind of scales up. And what it means is you didn't have somebody just walk in the door and out the back. Mm-hmm. You gave them something that was really meaty and worthwhile and not, and more about this than mm-hmm. you know their back and their shoulders. What does that mean in practical terms? That meant you didn't have to fill that role two or three or five times that year. Right? Yeah. Think about the number of shifts that robot's going to be running. 
Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. All of a sudden you're like, wow, I don't have to find people, you know, three people per shift two times a year, for instance. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. yeah. Eric, we've talked about the churn in the workforce also related to the labor shortage. We've talked about crew chiefing, creating better jobs. Is there anything that I've missed when it comes to helping people reframe their perspective around robotics and what it does for the industry? Um, it is easy to make robots sexy, right? People like robots, kids in, you know, from junior high on are working with robots, whether it's first Lego league or, or what have you. Right. So robots is attractive. Automation is attractive. Uh, the issue is too many folks aren't making the connection between these technologies and the manufacturing space or these technologies and logistics and supply chain. They believe these are divorced. That's hmm. not true. And to the degree that an individual factory or warehouse can ensure that it's not true for that you know, particular location is to the degree that you're going to be able to legitimately tap into that resource of labor, right? So, you know, if it's true that mamas don't let their babies grow up to work in the factory anymore, right? Well, mamas sure like their babies growing up to be robot technicians. That, that's a good job. Right? Yeah. So how... What's still missing is making that connection between the technologies that manufacturing is built on today, which are really compelling and exciting things to be working on, and using that to make the overall manufacturing uh, you know, space more attractive to talent. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think all of us in the automation space have a responsibility to supporting those clients that are having a marketing problem. Yeah. Right? They should all be touting the, the tools and the, you know, equipment and the technologies that you as a prospective employee will have the opportunity to work with. I like the way you phrased it. Cause even for me, right? Like, and I'm in the industry. I, I, I didn't think of it from the perspective. It's like, gosh, yeah, everyone gets that robots are cool and sexy. They're the puppy dogs and kittens of LinkedIn, right? You throw a video of a robot up there. Everyone likes it. But I think especially early on, it's about getting that connection between, yeah, these cool robots, this leads to jobs in manufacturing That's right. and logistics that are also cool because they involve robots, right? No. Excellent. Um, as we get to the end of this conversation, we've been talking a lot about your thoughts around robotics. I, I do have another career-oriented question for you. You've made a career out of robots. You've said it at the start of the interview. What's been one of your proudest career moments? Oh, I've been doing this for 30 years. Um, so a couple that stand out, but one of them is the emphasis that we are seeing in industry now for open source, right? Uh, for too long, the robot industry, as, as robot suppliers, I'm talking now, mm -hmm. have been living a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is predicated on if I just 
hold on to my robot programming language and it is uh, exclusive to my brand, then it acts as a barrier to entry to my competitors. Mm-hmm. Because which factory is going to want to learn multiple robot languages? So if I get in first and I lock them into my language, we win. Oh, yeah. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You won. And each of you won. And all of you together made the entire industry smaller. You went the wrong direction with this approach. Mm-hmm. If instead the industry would adopt some amount of commonality across Mm -hmm. these, then you would start to see much more adoption. You would have less technology hesitancy if I could leverage what I learned and know from the last one. Yeah. And so the advent of Ross Industrial as a Mm -hmm. framework for having multiple robots being able to you know sort of work interoperably uh the work that's coming out of mass robotics and the interoperability standard i don't have Mm -hmm. anything to do with that but i i applaud it because Mm -hmm. anytime you can knock down these sort of walls uh the better it is not for an individual manufacturer per se Mm -hmm. but for the adoption writ large within the industry and yeah. so I, I am pleased that I had a role, you know, mm-hmm. albeit small, in the growth of Ross Industrial as a framework that so many folks are, are using today. Well, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier about the whole point of technology is to make life better for people, right? And this, what you're talking about with interoperability and these commonalities makes it such that someone that learns something somewhere can you know take their career somewhere else as well it opens doors it creates better opportunities for the people that are behind these processes so mm-hmm. eric i appreciate everything you've been sharing today we've got to give a another plug for plus one robotics before we wrap up though today so what else should we know about plus one robotics and maybe what are you excited about there these days yeah so you know uh, plus one is all about bringing the same industrial robot that was so successful in detroit Right? That's mm-hmm. done so well mm-hmm. for automotive. How do you bring that to bear in the automated warehouse? How do you support the supply chain, fulfillment centers, distribution centers, et cetera? And uh, collaborative robots has a role to play. Uh, I, I love them. Uh, but the warehouse is all about rate, mm-hmm. right? Volume mm-hmm. and throughput. So I want to bring industrial automation scale and velocity to the warehouse space. And that's what Plus One is about. Plus one is computer vision and human in the loop. Effectively, yep. those are the two things that we offer. And the computer vision is, of course, hardware agnostic. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't be talking about interoperability if I was right, tied to right. a robot brand. <laughs> right? So uh, the user is going to have the robot of choice, or we're going to tell them this is the best in class for your particular application. Uh, we're going to marry that to the right gripper for the job. Because you know what? There is no universal gripper. The Mm -hmm. same gripper that's great at picking up a shoe can't pick up a shoe box to save its life. So Mm -hmm. you have to be able to be agnostic both to the the arm and the hand. Yeah. But you bring good 3D vision to that uh, to that combination in the warehouse and you make a lot of people's lives 
better, not yeah. just inside the operations of the fulfillment center or the DC, but mm -hmm. for all of us that are growing more and more reliant on, you know, goods and services being delivered to us rather than us having to go fetch them. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, we're on the right side of history at plus one. We're all, all of us as consumers are going to be getting more parcels delivered, more of our commerce online, uh, because it makes our lives better, you know, on some dimension. So, uh, plus one is here to support all those suppliers that have to make that reality for you. And as our listeners know, you can find everything we talk about over at manufacturinghappyhour.com in the show notes. Is it plus one robotics.com? Is that yes, the spot? Yes, it is. Right. robotics.com. And, you know, if you're, if you're interested in, in what you've heard today, follow us on LinkedIn because mm -hmm. we have a very uh, strong community there and uh we share a lot of our information and and know how broadly that way i'll have the linkedin link linked up on the show notes page as well for anyone that wants to take eric's advice and follow plus one and one more thing so i some people might have picked up on this but plus one emphasizes that yes. it's the people that are part of the process as well the people are the plus one good good on you chris yes why is the company named plus one it's because in our view, the robots in the diaspora uh, become much more effective, much more efficient, and much more capable through the addition of one human being. And mm -hmm. that's the plus one. The plus one is the people that really make it, uh, you know, all work as, as it ought. Eric, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, getting your insights on robotics, hearing about your career. Next time we do this, we got to do it over some jackfruit tacos. I feel <laughs> like that's uh... You bet. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it, Chris. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. We'll catch you again soon. Cheers. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Eric for jumping on today's show, as well as the whole Plus One Robotics team for helping make this episode possible. As always, if you want to access the show notes for this episode, you can head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 78. That is the episode number for this episode. And if you're hungry for some of those jackfruit Mexican dishes that we talked about, well, we've got a link to Senior Veggie there as well. As we get to the end here, I want to thank our sponsor for today's show, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. Now, if you're listening to this in January 2022, their business forum is right around the corner. It's basically at the start of January end of February every year. It's truly an event that brings some of the best minds in the automation world together. But if you can't make that, look out for Automate 2022. That's their big show taking place in Detroit, Michigan from June 6th through 9th. And even if you listen to this after the fact, A3 is constantly hosting some of the premier events in the industrial world. So check them out at automate.org to see what they have on the horizon. Thanks so much, A3, for sponsoring this podcast. As we wrap up, I know I'm talking a lot about community, so let me highlight the Manufacturing Happy Hour community real fast. You can find them on LinkedIn. Just type in manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to our group that has over 500 leaders in this space that are constantly helping one another out. If you want to join that, connect with me on LinkedIn, then head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community, and I will let you right in. And with that, that's a wrap for this week. Thanks for sticking around. As always, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.